Section 15 of Lives of the Queens of England, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. Lives of the Queens of England, Volume 2, by Agnes and Elizabeth Strickland. Isabella of France, Chapter 2, Part 1. The wording of the treaty negotiated between Isabella and her brother, the King of France, was couched in such ambiguous terms as to leave considerable matter of dispute between King Edward and that monarch, even after the required homage had been performed by the heir of England, for the fiefs held of the French crown. This difference, which regarded the province of Agenoy, had been contrived by Isabella to afford a plausible pretext for prolonging her stay in Paris. She was there joined by her paramour, Mortimer, and all the banished English lords, who had fled from the persecutions of the Spencers, flocked round her. She held frequent councils and meetings with the declared enemies of King Edward's person and government, and she altogether avoided the commissioners, by whose advice the king had appointed her to be guided. The English ambassadors were surprised and offended at the conduct of the queen, and the frivolousness of the pretenses on which she, from day to day, delayed her departure from Paris. But Walter Stapleton, the loyal bishop of Exeter, whom she had endeavored to draw into her conspiracy, withdrew to England, informed the king of her proceedings, and urged him to command her immediate return, with the Prince of Wales. King Edward vainly issued his private letters and royal summonses to his consort and son for that purpose. His most peremptory orders were disregarded by Isabella, who asserted that it was the intention of the dispensers to cause her to be put to death if she returned to England, on which the King of France, her brother, wrote to King Edward, that he could not permit her to return to him unless she were guaranteed from the evil that was mediated against her by her enemies, the dispensers. King Edward's manly and eloquent reply to this letter is preserved among the close record rolls of the 19th year of his reign. We translate it from the ancient French copy, printed in the fourth volume of Rhymer's Federa. Very dear and beloved brother, we have received, and well considered, your letters delivered to us by the Honorable Father in God, the Bishop of Winchester, who has also discoursed with us, by word of mouth, on the contents of the said letters. It seems that you have been told, dearest brother, by persons who you consider worthy of credit, that our companion, the Queen of England, dare not return to us, being in peril of her life, as she apprehends, from Hugh Le Dispenser. Certes, dearest brother, it cannot be that she can have fear of him, or any other man in our realm, since, pardieu, if either Hugh or any other living being in our dominions would wish to do her ill, and it came to our knowledge, we would chastise him in a manner that should be an example to all others. And this it is, and always will be, our entire will, as long as, by God's mercy, we have the power. And, dearest brother, know certainly that we have never perceived that he has, either secretly or openly, by word, look, or action, demeaned himself, otherwise than he ought, in all points, to do to so very dear a lady. 
and when we remember the amiable looks and words between them that we have seen and the great friendship she professed for him before she crossed the sea and the loving letters which she has lately sent him which he has shown to us we have no power to believe that our consort can of herself credit such things of him we cannot in any way believe it of him who after our own person is the man of our realm who would most wish to do her honor and has always shown good sincerity to you we pray you dearest brother not to give credence to any one who would make you otherwise suppose but to put your faith in those who have always borne true witness to you in other things and who have the best reason to know the truth of this matter wherefore we beseech you dearest brother both for your honor and ours but more especially for that our said consort that you would compel her to return to us with all speed for certes we have been ill at ease for the want of her company in which we have much delight and if our surety and safe conduct is not enough then let her come to us on the pledge of your good faith for us we also entreat you dearly beloved brother that you would be pleased to deliver up to us edward our beloved eldest son your nephew and that of your love and affection to him you would render to him the lands of the duchy that he be not disinherited which we cannot suppose you wish dearly beloved brother we pray you to suffer him to come to us with all speed for we have often sent for him and we greatly wish to see him and to speak to him and every day we long for his return and dearest brother at this time the honorable father in god walter bishop of exeter has returned to us having certified to us that his person was in peril from some of our banished enemies and we having great need of his counsel enjoined him on his faith and allegiance to return forthwith leaving all other matters in the best way he could we pray you therefore to excuse the sudden departure of the said bishop for the cause before said given at westminster the first day of december thirteen twenty five edward's letter to isabella herself on the same subject is exceedingly temperate but evidently written under a deep sense of injury and with a formal courtesy very different from the friendly and confidential style in which he addresses her brother as our readers will perceive king edward to queen isabella lady oftentimes we have sent to you both before and after the homage of our great desire to have you with us and of our grief of heart at your long absence and as we understand that you do us great mischief by this we will that you come to us with all speed and without further excuses before the homage was performed you made the advancement of that business an excuse and now that we have sent by the honorable father the bishop of winchester our safe conduct to you you will not come for the fear and doubt of hugh le dispenser whereat we cannot marvel too much when we recall your flattering deportment towards each other in our presence so amicable and sweet was your deportment with special assurances and looks and other tokens of the firmest friendship and also since then your very especial letters to him from that date which he has shown to us and certes lady we know for truth and so know you that he has always procured from us all the honor he could for you 
nor to you has either evil or villainy been done since you entered into our companionship, unless, peradventure, as you may yourself remember, once we had cause to give you secretly some words of reproof for your pride, but without other harshness. And doubtless, both God and the law of our holy church require you to honor us, and for nothing earthly to trespass against our commandments, or to forsake our company. And we are much displeased, now the homage has been made to our dearest brother, the King of France, and we have such fair prospect of amity, that you, whom we send to make peace, should be the cause, which God forfend, of increasing the breach between us by things which are feigned and contrary to the truth. Wherefore we charge you as urgently as we can, that ceasing from all pretenses, delays, and false excuses, that you come to us with all the haste you can. Our said bishop has reported to us, that our brother, the King of France, told you in his presence, that by the tenor of your safe conduct, you would not be delayed or molested in coming to us, as a wife should to her lord. And as to your expenses, when it shall be that you should come to us as a wife should to her lord, we will provide that there shall be no deficiency in aught that is pertaining to you, and that you be not in any way dishonored by us. Also, we require of you that our dear son, Edward, return to us with all possible speed, for we much desire to see him and to speak with him. King Edward concludes this letter with repeating the same observations to the queen on the sudden return of the Bishop of Exeter, which our readers have seen in his letter to her brother, the King of France. Both letters are dated on the same day, December 1st, 1326. His letter to the Prince of Wales, written on the next day, is as follows. Very dear son, as you are young and of tender age, we remind you of that which we charged and commanded you at your departure from Dover, and you answered then, as we know with good will, that you would not trespass or disobey any of our injunctions in any point for any one. And, since that your homage has been received by our dearest brother, the King of France, your uncle, be pleased to take your leave of him, and return to us with all speed, in company with your mother, if so be that she will come quickly, and if she will not, then come you without further delay, for we have great desire to see you, and to speak with you. Therefore stay not for your mother, nor for any one else, on our blessing, given at Westminster the second day of December. It is matter of regret that replies to these most interesting letters have not been preserved among our national records, but the substance of them may be gathered from the following urgent and touching appeals, from the injured husband of Isabella, to the prince their son, and to her brother, the king of France. Edward, fair son, we understand by your letters written in reply to ours, that you remember well the charge we gave you, among other things, not to contract marriage, nor to suffer it to be contracted for you, without our knowledge and consent and also that at your departure from Dover, you said, that it should be your pleasure to obey our commandments, as far as you could, all your days. Fair son, if thus you have done, you have done wisely and well, and according to your duty, so as to have grace of God of us and all men, and if not, then you cannot avoid the wrath of God, 
the reproach of men, and our great indignation. For we charged you so lately and so strictly, that you should remember well these things, and that you should by no means marry, nor suffer yourself to be married, without our previous consent and advice. For no other thing that you could do, would occasion greater injury and pain of heart to us. And inasmuch as it seems you say, you cannot return to us because of your mother. It causes us great uneasiness of heart, that you cannot be allowed by her to do that which is your natural duty, and which not doing will lead to much mischief. Fair son, you know how dearly she would have been loved and cherished, if she had timely come according to her duty to her lord. We have knowledge of much of her evil doings, to our sorrow how that she devises pretenses for absenting herself from us, on account of our dear and faithful nephew, H. Laid Dispenser, who has always so well and loyally served us, while you and all the world have seen that she openly, notoriously, and knowing it to be contrary to her duty, and against the welfare of our crown, has attracted to herself, and retains in her company, the Mortimer, our traitor and mortal foe, proved, attained, and adjudged, and him she accompanies in the house and abroad in despite of us, of our crown, and the right ordering of the realm, him the malefactor, whom our beloved brother the king of France, at our request, banished from his dominions as our enemy. And worse than this she has done, if worse than this can he, in allowing you to consort with our said enemy, making him your counsellor, and you openly to herd and associate with him, in the sight of all the world, doing a great villainy and dishonor both to yourself and us, to prejudice our crown, and the laws and customs of our realm, which you are supremely bound to hold, preserve, and maintain. Wherefore, fair son, desist you from a part which is so shameful, and may be to you perilous and injurious in too many ways. We are not pleased with you, and neither for your mother, nor for any other, ought you to displease us. We charge you by the faith, love, and allegiance which you owe us, and on our blessing, that you come to us without opposition, delay, or any further excuse. For your mother has written to us, that if you wish to return to us, she will not prevent it. And we do not understand that your uncle the king, detains you against the form of your safe conduct. In no manner, then, either for your mother, or to go to the duchy, nor for any other cause, delay to come to us. Our commands are for your good, and for your honor, by the help of God. Come quickly, then, without further excuse, if you would have our blessing, and avoid our reproach and indignation." It is our wish to order all things for the good of the duchy, and our other dominions, for our mutual honor and benefit. If John of Bretagne, and John de Cromwell, will come in your company, they will do their duty. Fair son, trespass not against our commands, for we hear much that you have done things you ought not. Given at Litchfield, the 18th day of March. From the tenor of this letter, it is evident that Edward II had been informed of his queen's clandestine and most certainly unconstitutional proceedings, with regard to contracting their son, the youthful heir of England, in marriage, without his knowledge or the consent of Parliament. 
This was the more annoying to the king, because he was himself negotiating a double marriage between the Prince of Wales and the Infanta Eleonora of Aragon, and the young king of Aragon with his eldest daughter, the Princess Eleanor. And matters were so far advanced, that application had been made to the Pope for a dispensation, when the whole scheme was traversed by Isabella's contract for her son's marriage with a daughter of the Count of Hainault. It seems that the bride's proportion, which was paid in advance, was required by Isabella to support herself against her unhappy lord, to whom, however, she continued to hold out unmeaning professions of her dutiful inclinations, as we perceive from his reply to one of the letters addressed to him by her brother, the King of France. Dearest brother, we have considered well your letters, in which you signify that you have spoken with good diligence to your sister, touching the things on which we have replied to you, and that she has told you that it is her desire to be with us, and in our company, as a good wife ought to be in that of her lord, and that the friendship between her and our dear and faithful nephew, H. Le Dispenser, was but feigned on her part, because she saw it was expedient for her support in past time, and to secure herself from worse treatment. Certes, dearest brother, if she loved us, she would desire to be in our company, as she has said. She who ought to be the mediatress between us, of entire and lasting peace, should not be the cause of stirring up fresh strife, as she has done when she was sent, to nourish peace and love between you and us, which we intended in all good faith when we sent her to you. But the thought of her heart was to devise that pretense for withdrawing from us. We have already shown you that what she has told you is, saving your reverence, not the truth. For never, so much as she has done against us, has she received either evil or villainy from us or from any other. Neither has she had an occasion for feints to support herself in times past, nor to escape from worse. For never in the slightest instance has evil been done to her by him, and since she has departed from us and come to you, what has compelled her to send to our dear and trusty nephew, H. Le Dispenser, the letters of such great and especial amity as she has been pleased to do from time to time? But truly, dearest brother, it must be as apparent to you as to us and to all men that she does not love us as she ought to love her lord and the cause why she has spoken falsehood of our nephew and withdrawn herself from us proceeds according to my thoughts from a disordered will when she so openly notoriously and knowingly against her duty etc etc here King Edward passionately repeats the same observations, respecting Isabella's shameless intimacy with Mortimer, of which he had made use in the preceding letter, to the prince his son, and then proceeds, If you wish her well, dearest brother, you would chastise her for this misconduct, and make her demean herself as she ought, for the honor of all those to whom she belongs. Then our son, dearest brother, is made also by his mother, your sister, the companion of our said traitor and foe, who is his counsellor in denying his return, in our despite. Some requests touching Guienne follow, and after repeating his entreaties for his son to be restored to him, King Edward concludes his letter in the following words, And that you will be pleased to do these things, dearest brother, for the sake of God, 
reason, good faith, and natural fraternity, without paying regard to the light pleasance of a woman, is our desire. Given at Litchfield, the 18th of March. After this letter, Charles Lebel is said to have looked very coolly on his sister, and even to have urged her to return, with her son, to the royal husband. But Isabella had another game in view, and had gone too far, she felt, to recede, without incurring in reality the perils which she had before pretended to dread. Her party in England had now, through the malignant activity of her especial agent, Adam Orleton, Bishop of Hereford, become so strong that about this time she received a deputation from the Confederate barons, assuring her that if she could only raise a thousand men, and would come with the prince to England at the head of that force, they would place him on the throne to govern by her guidance. The queen had already been very active in securing the assistance of many enterprising young nobles and soldiers of fortune, who were, by her persuasive words and fair promises, ready to attend her. But though she had conducted her preparations with great secrecy, the dispensers had information of her proceedings, and, if we may trust the assertions of Foisart, they circumvented her, by the skilful distribution of counter-bribes among the ministers of the King of France. Nay, he even goes so far as to say that the dispensers addressed their golden arguments to King Charles himself, so successfully that he withdrew his countenance from his royal sister, and forbade any person, under pain of punishment, to aid or assist her in her projected invasion of England. Less prejudiced historians, however, attribute the marked change of King Charles, with regard to his sister's cause, to the scandal which her undisguised passion for Mortimer had caused in his court. Some impression, too, might have been made on the mind of Isabella's brother, by the urgent appeal which her luckless husband, about this time, addressed to him, in the following letter. Most dearest and beloved brother, we would wish you to remember that we have at different times signified to you by our letters how improperly your sister, our wife, has conducted herself in withdrawing from us, and refusing to return at our command, while she so notoriously has attached to her company, and consorts with our traitor, and mortal enemy the Mortimer, and our brother enemies there, and also makes Edward, our son and heir, and adherent to the same our enemy, to our great shame, and that every one of her blood, and if you wish her well, you ought, both for your own honor and ours, to have these things duly redressed. Then, after reiterating his earnest entreaties to his royal brother-in-law, for the restoration of the prince, his son, who is, he observes, of too tender an age to guide and govern himself, and therefore ought to be under his paternal care. King Edward implores him to put his son in possession of the before-named duchy, for which he had performed the homage as stipulated, and that without dwelling too particularly on the wording of the covenant, which had evidently been designedly mystified by the contrivance of Isabella, he adds, but these things are as nothing, it is the hurting of our said wife and son, with our traitors and mortal enemies, that notoriously continues, insomuch that the said traitor, the Mortimer, was carried in the train of our said son, publicly to Paris, at the solemnity of the coronation of our very dear sister your wife, 
the queen of france at the pentecost just past to our great shame and in despite of us wherefore dearest brother we pray you as earnestly as we can by the rights and blessings of peace and the entire friendship that subsists between us that you will of your benevolence effectually attend to our supreme desire that we be not thus dishonored and our son disinherited which we cannot suppose you wish dearest brother you ought to feel for us and so should all men of our estate for much we are and much we have been grieved at the shameful despites and great injury which we have so long endured nay verily brother-in-law but we cannot bear it longer the holy spirit have charge of you at the same time in the month of june thirteen twenty six king edward made a last fruitless attempt to prevail on the prince his son to withdraw himself from the evil counsels and contumacious companions of the queen his mother and to return to him this letter like the preceding correspondence affords indubitable evidence how acutely the unfortunate husband of isabella was informed of her proceedings with regard to mortimer edward fair son we have seen by your letters lately written to us that you well remember the charges we enjoined you on your departure from dover and that you have not transgressed our commands in any point that was in your power to avoid but to us it appears that you have not humbly obeyed our commands as a good son ought his father since you have not returned to us to be under government as we have enjoined you by our other letters on our blessing but have notoriously held companionship and your mother also with mortimer our traitor and mortal enemy who in company with your mother and others was publicly carried to paris in your train to the solemnity of the coronation at pentecost just past in signal despite of us and to the great dishonor both of us and you for truly he is neither a meet companion for your mother nor for you and we hold that much evil to the country will come of it also we understand that you through counsel which is contrary both to our interest and yours have proceeded to make divers alterations injunctions and ordinances without our advice and contrary to our orders in the duchy of guienne which we have given you but you ought to remember the conditions of the gift and your reply when it was conferred upon you at dover these things are inconvenient and must be most injurious therefore we command and charge you on the faith and love you ought to bear us and on our blessing that you show yourself our dear and beloved son as you have aforetime done and ceasing from all excuses of your mother or any like those that you have just written you come to us here with all haste that we may ordain for you and your state as honorably as you can desire by right and reason you ought to have no other governor than us neither should you wish to have also fair son we charge you by no means to marry till you return to us nor without our advice and consent nor for any cause either go to the duchy or elsewhere against our will and command p s edward fair son you are of tender age take our commandments tenderly to heart and so rule your conduct with humility as you would escape our reproach our grief and indignation and advance your own interest and honor 
believe no counsel that is contrary to the will of your father as the wise king solomon instructs you understand certainly that if you now act contrary to our counsel and continue in willful disobedience you will feel it all the days of your life and all other sons will take example to be disobedient to their lords and fathers the evil influence of isabella prevented the paternal remonstrances of the royal writer from having any proper effect on the mind of her son and it should seem that she succeeded in persuading him that she was the object of the most barbarous persecution both from the dispensers and the king her husband king edward sent copies of these letters to the pope and entreated his interference so effectually that the pontiff addressed his censures to charles le bel on his detention of the queen of england from her royal consort and charged him under the penalty of excommunication to dismiss both isabella and her son from his dominions when king charles had read these letters says froissart he was greatly disturbed and ordered his sister to be made acquainted with their contents for he had held no conversation with her for a long time and commanded her to leave his kingdom immediately or he would make her leave it with shame when the queen received this angry and contemptuous message from her brother she was greatly troubled for the french barons had already withdrawn themselves either as foissart states by the king's commands or through disgust at the infatuation of her conduct with regard to mortimer and she had no adviser left but her dear cousin robert de artois and he could only assist her secretly since the king her brother had not only said but sworn that whoever should speak in behalf of his sister the queen of england should forfeit his lands and be banished the realm robert of artois had also discovered that a plan was in agitation for delivering queen isabella the prince her son the earl of kent and sir roger mortimer to king edward sir robert artois came in the middle of the night to warn isabella of the peril in which she stood the queen was struck with consternation at this intelligence and artois strongly urged her to enter the imperial territories and to throw herself upon the protection of some of the independent german princes especially william earl of hainault whose consort was isabella's first cousin the queen ordered her baggage to be made ready as secretly as possible and having paid everything a point of honesty recorded to her credit by foissart she quitted paris with mortimer and accompanied by her son and by her husband's brother the earl of kent who had been attached to the homage deputation and was at this time decidedly her partisan after some days she came into the country of cambrai when she found that she was in the territories of the empire she was more at her ease she entered ostravant in hainault and lodged at the house of a poor knight called sir eustace de ambrecourt who received her with great pleasure and entertained her in the best manner he could insomuch that afterwards the queen of england and her son invited the knight his wife and all his children to england and advanced their fortunes in various ways the arrival of the queen of england was soon known in the house of the good earl of hainault who was then at valenciennes sir john his brother was likewise informed of the hour when she alighted at the house of the lord of ambercourt 
this sir john being at that time very young and panting for glory like a knight errant mounted his horse and accompanied by a few persons set out from valenciennes and arrived in the evening to pay the queen every respect and honor the queen was at this time very dejected and made a lamentable complaint to him of all her griefs which affected sir john so much that he mixed his tears with hers and said lady see here your knight who will not fail to die for you though every one else should forsake you therefore i will do everything in my power to conduct you safely to england with your son and to restore you to your rank with assistance of your friends in those parts and i and all those whom i can influence will risk our lives on the adventure for your sake and we shall have a sufficient armed force if it please god without fearing any danger from the king of france the queen who was sitting down and sir john standing before her would have cast herself at his feet but the gallant sir john rising up quickly caught her in his arms and said god forbid that the queen of england should do such a thing madame be of good comfort to yourself and company for i will keep my promise and you shall come and see my brother and the countess his wife and all their fine children who will be rejoiced to see you for i have heard them say so the queen answered sir i find in you more kindness and comfort than in all the world besides and i give you five hundred thousand thanks for all you have promised me with so much courtesy i and my son shall be for ever bound unto you and we will put the kingdom of england under your management as in justice it ought to be when isabella quitted the castle of ambrecourt she took sir eustace and his lady that she trusted a time would come when she and her son could acknowledge their courtesy she then mounted her horse and set off with her train accompanied by sir john who with joy and respect conducted her to valenciennes many of the citizens of the town came forth to meet her and received her with great humility she was thus conducted to william count of hainault who as well as the countess received her very graciously many great feasts were given on this occasion as no one knew better than the countess how to do the honors of her house end of section fifteen